Hi all, this is Brayden Thorvaldson, and this is a very particular episode of What Explain. Most of the episodes I have done previously have been pretty emphatically for everyone. A bit more PG-rated, but, you know, this one is not. Please read the content warning in the episode description before going any further, because the main fact behind this episode is absolutely not for the faint of heart. There's no cursing, no jump scares, but... Oh boy, is this one a disturbing factoid. Thanks very much for listening and sticking with me so far, and without any further delays, here's the episode. Mummification was used for many years by cultures around the world in order to preserve their deceased. Thousands of years before the Egyptians started doing it, the Chinchoro people of South America were preserving their dead by a very similar process. They removed the organs from the deceased, cleaned out the cavity left, and began repacking the body with clay in order for it to maintain its shape. The skin was then sewn back on and painted black from head to toe, with the eyes and mouth remaining open. Not only the ruling class of the Chinchoro people were mummified, but anyone, regardless of class or age. The Egyptians are far more famous for their mummification process and are widely considered to have pioneered it, but they were simply one of the largest producers of mummies, so to speak. Many of the nobility and rulers of ancient Egypt were entombed with offerings of gold, elaborate death masks, boats, chariots, and enough food and drink to get the deceased through the trip to the afterlife. Even animals were mummified with millions of them estimated to have been mummified either as a way of memorializing a beloved pet that had passed on, or as offerings to take with a deceased person into the afterlife as a companion. In a world where hundreds of thousands, or even millions of people were mummified over the course of history around the world, whether through the elements or by some human intervention, why exactly are mummies such a rare find today, or even in modern times in general? Well, one particular reason stands out, and it may surprise you. As far back as the 12th century AD, all the way up to the 18th century, European nobility, and Europeans in general, had a very particular solution for curing stomach problems and other internal ailments. Eating parts of an Egyptian mummy. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is... What? Explain. You may think that going from, oh, my stomach hurts, to, well, this mummy isn't going to eat itself, would be something of an enormous logical leap for an entire continent to take. I won't lie to you, you'd be right. But the reason behind the conviction that consuming a mummy would be the cure to whatever ails you was less the result of a rigorous scientific process, and more due to a game of telephone that occurred over hundreds of years and badly translated through many different languages. Bitumen may primarily be used in creating asphalt nowadays, but in ancient times, its uses were far more varied. Civilizations in the Middle East had used it in construction since ancient times, 
and it was even used on a wide variety of human ailments. When heated up, it becomes pliable, but hardens when cools, which made it ideal for setting broken bones. Pliny the Elder, a Roman naturalist, even recommended ingesting bitumen mixed with wine in order to cure coughs and dysentery, or combining it with vinegar to remove blood clots. Other medical issues that used bitumen as a curative included cataracts, toothaches, and even skin diseases. More importantly for this episode, bitumen was also used in the preservation of human remains in Egypt and in many other cultures in the area. This was primarily because naturally occurring bitumen was abundant in the Middle East, and it was widely known that bitumen from the Dead Sea was best used for medicinal purposes. Scientists later found out that bitumen on its own has antimicrobial and biocidal properties, and bitumen from the Dead Sea area also contains sulfur, which also acted as a biocidal agent. As far as the people at the time were concerned, if you put some bitumen on a wound, odds are it wouldn't get infected. Bitumen was used for medical purposes in many cultures, and it had just as many names. In Sumeria, it was known as Azir, and in Iraq, it was known as Sayali. However, in 10th century Persia, it started being called Mumia, from the word mum, which meant wax, a referral to the sickiness of the substance. By the 11th century, mumia was the commonly used word for the medicinal bitumen. The reason we actually call the embalmed dead mummies was because when Europeans first discovered the Egyptian remains, they assumed that the black stuff covering them was the valuable bitumen, or mumia. Ever since, the word mumia had a double meaning, both meaning the naturally occurring bitumen and the substance found on ancient Egyptian remains. As supplies of naturally occurring bitumen started becoming scarcer, people started looking to the mummified remains as a potential new source of bitumen. If it had to be scraped off the remains of dead Egyptians, so what? Medicine waits for no man, it seems. The final point of confusion was when Gerard of Cremonia, a famed translator of Arabic manuscripts, defined mumia as the substance found in the land where bodies are buried with aloes, by which the liquid of the dead, mixed with the aloes, is transformed and is similar to marine pitch. After that, people took mumia to be not only the black substance on the bodies, but the bodies themselves as well, with all the healing properties contained therein. So with that, by the 12th century AD, the belief that eating a part of a mummified Egyptian corpse would help cure some ailments of the body was cemented in common knowledge. Ironically enough, it wasn't consuming the flesh of the pharaohs that would have given the healing properties of bitumen. Pharaohs and Egyptian nobility were embalmed and preserved with resin, which while more expensive and sought after at the time, did not have the healing properties of bitumen, while commoners mummified at the time were preserved with a more plentiful and cheaper bitumen. It was those mummies that were more often found and brought back from Egypt by European explorers. They were not 
brought back individually, however. They were brought back by the cartload. In 1586, an English merchant by the name of John Sanderson smuggled back 600 pounds of mummy parts from an Egyptian tomb. For an idea of just how many parts that was, the average mummy weighed about 5 pounds, not including wrapping. So, there were a lot of body parts. Over time, demand still increased faster than one could find Egyptian mummies to cart back to Europe. So, some unscrupulous merchants got... creative with their supply chain. Some merchants passed off toasted camel flesh as human flesh, and others went even the extra step further in creating their own mummies, using corpses of slaves or whatever bodies they could get a hold of, dry out, and embalm in order to sell to Europeans who were willing to pay a profit. For those that weren't in the budget range to get Egyptian mummy parts to eat in order to cure their ailments, there were other options. In a horrifying twist on supporting local business and buying local goods, many Europeans in the 16th century onwards turned to remedies made of recently deceased humans, including flesh, bones, skulls, blood, placenta, and even in some cases, excretions. This was a practice known as corpse medicine, and it was in vogue for everyone from the king to the common folk. King Charles II had the King's Drops, which was a mixture that contained powdered skull mixed with alcohol in order to cure his depression. Though with enough alcohol in his system, one could argue he brought another ailment on himself, a crippling daily hangover. In some European countries, people who couldn't afford the corpse medicine available at apothecaries would wait at executions in the hopes of being able to buy a cup of blood taken from a recently executed man for a few coins. This was because the blood of the recently deceased was thought to still contain the vitality of the person. By consuming it, you would gain their strength. A lot of the corpse medicine theories of the time could be boiled down to like affects like. Do you suffer from constant migraines, epilepsy, or other headaches and pains? Try taking some powdered skull. Do you have ill humors in the blood? Drink some blood taken from a strong young man, and you'll be back on your feet in no time. The practice of corpse medicine started dying out in the 18th century, with scientific advances starting to accelerate, and people starting to use soap to bathe more often minimizing infections and diseases resulting from squalid living conditions, and thus the need for many of the corpse medicine cures. That isn't to say it stopped entirely. In fact, there are scattered reports of corpse medicine being used up to and including the early 20th century, where mummy was being sold in a medicinal catalog in Germany in 1908. Mummies had other uses than just medicinal in medieval and renaissance Europe, a fair amount of mummies were used in the art world for pigments for a particular shade of brown known as mummy brown. Bluntly, there was no art supply stores for artists to pick up colors from, and if you wanted some colors that would really make some artwork pop, 
Odds are you were mixing it up yourself using something either in nature or purchased elsewhere. Woad was used to make particular shades of blue. Charcoal was used to make black. And if you wanted a shade of brown that stood out from the others, well, it looks like you were grinding up some mummy. Mummy brown was very much in vogue from the 16th to the 19th centuries, as it was used quite often in paintings for shadows, shading, and, in a particularly amazing twist, some particular flesh tones. As time wore on, some artists were aghast at the origin of where their mummy brown color came from. 19th century painter Edward Byrne Jones was reportedly so horrified when he found out the source of the pigment that he buried the rest of his reserves of mummy brown, never to be used again. Mummies have been a source of fascination in Western civilization for as long as we've known about them. These well-preserved bodies seem to show a look into a time long gone, putting a literal human face on the abstract of that ancient civilization. What is less common is truly how many of those mummies there once were, and the reason they are so scarce nowadays. Interestingly, Corpse medicine does have something of a descendant in many medical procedures today. Blood transfusions, skin grafts, and organ transplants all have something of a common ancestor in some elements of corpse medicine. It's an interesting thought to consider just how far we've come in terms of scientific advances, and yet just how similar some of these advances are to the, quote, barbaric practices of the past. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is... What? Explain. First of all, I'd like to thank Vanessa, one of our listeners, who sent me a message alerting me to this topic. I won't lie to you, I actually had to reread the message a couple times to make sure I was reading it right. It turns out that it is very much a thing, and oh my goodness was I excited to share this episode with you. If you also want to pitch me an idea for the podcast, you can contact me via the What? Explain page on Facebook, or at What Explain Cast on Instagram and Twitter. I'm more than happy to hear new ideas and strange facts. If you're new here and you want to hear some slightly less disturbing episodes, we do have a few others in the podcast feed, including some with narration-only options. I release a new episode every second Thursday, so please subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you use so you can have it downloaded the minute it is ready. Thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you in a couple weeks.